0: Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman, and here with Dave Littlefield, uh, VP of Player Development for the Detroit Tigers. And this is part of the McCormick uh, Sport Management uh, UMass series. And you know, we're going to talk a little bit about the pathways to the elusive GM seat. Uh, Dave was fortunate enough to uh, be a part of the Pittsburgh Pirates as a general manager and, and a couple different organizations in which we'll dive into, but uh, nonetheless, we'll we'll dive into his journey and some of the things he's learned along the way. So, Dave, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jake. Glad to be here, and uh, look forward to talking to you. Absolutely. And and you know, I, let's first start off with where your journey started because that's always important to understand. You know, Portland uh, and and the main area—that's not a typical baseball spot, right? Well, I
1: would say uh, it's not maybe as, you know, the state of Maine is uh, not densely populated, but it's very much interested in baseball. I mean, the Red Sox have a a great following and some of the Yankees in New England. And uh, so there is a lot of baseball interest in Maine, even though the weather is not very conducive, as as we all know. But there's been a few of us uh, maniacs, as we like to say, that have been out there and worked in the industry. and But it is a little unusual coming from... Uh, the state of Maine in such a cold region.
0: And and understanding the landscape of baseball today, obviously the specialization aspect of things has increased tenfold over the years in terms of, you know, kids starting at, I even think about myself, I, from 13 on, I was only playing baseball every single day. Did you play other sports growing up and, or, or was baseball it and you just figured out how to play and indoors and in the cold and, and everything else?
1: No, I actually played all sports it Was had uh, parents that were athletes and actually had an uncle played in the NFL. So it was just kind of the thing that we did and six kids and very active. So I participated in basically whatever sport was of that season. And, you know, it kind of came out baseball, basketball and football, but did a lot of other things
0: around the, you know, around that. But uh, that was basically
1: my high school and youth league. I did those things.
0: And you played a little bit professionally. You were fortunate to to have some time, you know, through college and and into the minors and then coached even as well afterwards. Um, Talk a little bit about those experiences and and how those maybe drove you towards the seat that you're in today.
1: Well, I did it a little backwards, actually. I signed out of high school um, even after I had signed a scholarship to go to UMass to play football. And um, so I played for about three and a half years in the minors. And... As I kiddingly say, I was a catcher, but I hit like a pitcher. So it made for a short career as a professional player. Uh, But in some ways, even though it was disappointing uh, for any young athlete, it kind of helped me get on my path a little quicker as far as careers go. But eventually, I made my way back to UMass and and played football there for a year. And unfortunately, got injured at the end of the first year and tore a knee. And I just couldn't come back in that kind of day and age of Medical technology. I wasn't able to bounce back. So, and again, in other ways, it kind of helped me. I had been coaching youth league uh, baseball, where I had a couple younger brothers, or actually in professional baseball now. Um, so I coached them for years too, and then got into American Legion. I mean, this is way back. And then uh, when I got injured in football and couldn't play anymore, I still had a few years of academics left and, at UMass, and I. Just ended up walking into the baseball coach's office and asking him if I could volunteer because I had played a little bit and was coaching in the summers and things like that. So it's really, you know, as everybody has a story in their career and getting started, that really was mine. And I, I just fell into it with a great mentor and Dick Burquist, longtime UMass baseball coach. And uh, he helped me out a great deal. And so that was kind of the beginning of me getting a little bit of traction in the coaching side.
0: And from the coaching side of things, look, there's all sorts of different perspectives uh, in in your side of the industry, right? You have the players, you have the data, you have the coaches, you have uh, the trainers, et cetera. And when you put it all together, at the end of the day, the coaches are the ones that are really interacting with the players. And there's there's a lot of knowledge transfer there. Can you talk about your experience as a coach and how that may have helped you uh, kind of transitioning into the front office as you were able to get some of those first opportunities?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's some of the things that happened and, you know, you look back and just kind of markers among, uh, uh, during your, your life, your journey, as you say, um, it really the first thing was that as we went on our first spring trip, actually, when I was coaching at UMass and I coached there for three years, um, it became pretty evident actually after the first game, when we went out, played out in uh, San Diego and I was out to dinner with coach was that night. And, And, you know, we were talking about things in the game that day, and we got beat pretty handily. And uh, it was just a conversation where I said, Coach, you know, I don't know much about college baseball, but I do know one thing is that their players are better than ours are. And, you know, as I was, and I don't even know how it came about, but as I was in that part of my, you know, career and school and everything, I said to him, you know, what do you think about me going out there and trying to see if I can recruit some players to come to UMass? And that actually was kind of the first significant step after the volunteering is that that's really between coaching and recruiting. I realized real quick that you're going to be a better coach with better players. And, you know, so I started doing that and I certainly coached along the way, but um, I went out and worked hard at trying to get to attract better players to UMass. And it got me an opportunity to go down and coach in the Cape Cod league and then, I got an opportunity to go to Clemson University and coach baseball there as well. So, um, you know, you, you, you learn to piece things together. Um, there's a lot of information that you need, uh, whether it's, you know, understanding the player and where he's coming from, um, the struggles that he's going through in the baseball world. Frequently, you, you lose track of it, you know, the kind of sometimes the further you get away from it, but it is a very difficult game. And there's a lot, a lot of negativity in the game based on failure. And, you know, you've, you've got to learn to be positive. You've got to learn to be encouraging. And yet, you know, you've got to be a realist also. And so, you know, whether it's data or um, understanding the player and, and learning how to coach him up and the art of when you push or when you pull with a player, you know, there's a lot of things that go into it. But, uh, you know, those were some things that were important to me and things that happened early in my career that, you know, help me figure some things out later on. But as I've looked at things, and I use this as kind of a statement many times uh, as time's gone on, people to coach them up. And that includes guys on the field. Uh, you need, you know, nowadays there's medical teams and teams in strength and conditioning, the, the analysts, the technology that's out there. There's, you know, a lot of areas that you're covering, mental skills. So, you know, that part of the group is, is, very very important too but number one you need players and finding players and signing them and attracting them and wherever you're at college or pros is the most important thing in my mind
0: well and one may look at a coach and, and say all they do is coach right they they're, they're not talent evaluators but at the end of the day they're talent evaluators because they're going to be asked opinions by people like yourself in the GM seat or, or wherever they are uh, hey what do you think about this player right and so I mean, even just uh, the short time I spent in your side of the industry, you know the biggest thing was, was always hammered into into my mind from from those that I worked with was you have to be able to figure out how to evaluate talent that was the the one non negotiable right across the board, whether you were on the data side or uh, coaching or player development, it was you have to figure out how to learn how to evaluate and when You know you say evaluate talent that's like okay great right you can evaluate talent but how do you evaluate talent there's a there's a there's a process to it and there's a skill to it so um, maybe share some insights on you know what you perceive evaluating talent to be and and how that kind of um is done differently across the different spectrums
1: well i think the point you made about the you know the coaches or managers in our in our baseball world is is very valid as I think it's an underappreciated under uh, skill for the people on the field is evaluating talent. And I think most people that have been out there for a while will tell you that the guys that have been successful, you know, whether it's pitching coaches, managers, or whoever on the field, including player development, have a good feel for evaluating the talent. And um, it's not brought up as much as it is on the scouting side, which that's their main function is, is to evaluate talent. Well, it's, you know, as much as we're working very hard to, to kind of make it a science, if you will, and, and, you know, some absolutes out there in the scouting world with everything you have available to you now with, uh, you know, TrackMan and Rapsodo and all the analysts that are out there slicing and dicing, you know, everything possible. It's still a, it's a very, very challenging business is trying to evaluate players and, and um, you know, try to project which of those players? Because we're picking them at such a, a younger and less competitive area as we do from the high schools and the colleges, and, and Latin America, which is a, a, you know a major source of, of our of our talent through the minor league, major leagues as well. That um, you know there's it, there's no absolutes and and there's a variety of things that come into play. But um, you know projection is one of the important things because when you sign these guys. You're, you're signing them at, at much younger ages and much less competitive areas than where you're hoping them to be, and that's in the major leagues. So it may be maybe at minimum three years, but frequently five, six, seven years before they get to that level. Um, you know, you'll hear through the years the, the, the skill sets of the tools, the, you know, throwing, hitting, power, defense, running as a position player as a pitcher, there's a variety of the delivery, the, you know, the, how the arm works, the athleticism, the body type, the velocity, uh, the breaking stuff, the command, uh, you know, all those things go into it that, that you can see and and try to narrow down to have some, some uh, clear cut evaluations, how fast someone is and, you know, the velocity, but two of the areas, one on the pitching side and one on the hitting side are, very, very difficult to, um, you know, clearly project, which is the hitting. It's, it's very difficult when you go see amateur players to compare Latin American players to high school players to college players, you know, playing in the, the SEC or, or the Pac-12 or the ACC or some of the better conferences and, you know, compare apples to apples. And, and in some cases, it may be where you're gonna draft them in first, second round, in a comparison versus with the kind of money that you give to a Latin American player that doesn't, right now, is not involved in a draft, but yet you have to outbid frequently many other teams to, to get him to sign with you. So, um, you know, we're we're working very hard. We've got, you know, video groups and uh, groups in, in performance that are working on mobility and strength and conditioning and and the data analysis that are going on. but it still is a large, uh, huge challenge at the amateur level to, to make that, and and you know see where that's going to exactly go. Even though there's a lot of models that are being done, and they're giving us a lot of guidance, but uh, uh, you know it, it's, there's still some art to it. I guess that uh, I wish I had the answers, in <laughs> and, and, uh, fully. But you know there's a lot of people working at it, and we're trying to take in as much information as we can, and and try to make good decisions. You know to. To get as much potential with as minimal risk as you can which you know sounds good in theory but is very difficult as you see with the drafts you know historically
0: yeah and you know at the end of the day it's it's there's a lot of feel to it right there's experience there's uh just seeing players over and over and over again over time that repetition aspect and and uh, recognizing certain things and certain people have it certain people don't but then you know the 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 biggest piece that you know i would love to for you to kind of talk about is the communication aspect of it right because now it's more complex than ever you've got to not only uh, there's a communication level at the top right uh, across executives but then it's the uh, trickle down of information right so you're going from the analytics to the coaches to the players there's probably someone else in between with you know other opinions or perspectives or data as you mentioned with the strength coach and and then maybe the athletic trainer. Um, and at the same time, all five or six or seven of those groups, whether it's video, et cetera, they all have different skill sets and different languages that they talk. But you have to be talking the same language on the, and on the same page and hope that then the player understands it as well. So it's, you know, I say that and kind of going long-winded, but it's complex. It's challenging.
1: It is. And, you know, there's flow charts and organizational uh... – policies and you know some things that are in place but you know communication as you said it's it's a highly important area it's something that everybody talks about but you know as the business world goes whether it's baseball or anything else there's at times things aren't communicated as well as you'd like and it's something you got to work very hard at and think through because you do have a lot of groups now involved and you have to know the player as to you know, how much information he needs, what kind of information, who's going to give it to him. And you got to make sure people are on the same page. They may not agree with everything. And that's something that's very common in our business. Um, But at the same time, you know, you you have to get across the fact that, okay, we we may agree to disagree to a a certain extent, but we got to all bring the same message to the player. We can't have, you know, some rogue department going in one direction saying, well, okay, I get that, you know, everybody four out of the five groups wants to go A, but I think C is the way to go. And you may think that that's fine, but we got to make sure that we're bringing A to the player and that it's done in a clear manner. It's done, you know, kind of uh, step-by-step in the right process and the right time frame and that sort of thing. So yeah, there's, there's and, and experience helps in that regard, you know, having been through some different jobs that, um, you know, you've learned the, through the potholes and through the hurdles that you have to deal with. You know, you you did this for a while and that didn't work out real well. So you, you change gears, you learn from some other people. But uh, it is complex. And, and, you know, with the advent of additional layers, additional staff, which is, you know, in, the, in, in diff- additional departments, which is, you know, part of, as my career has gone through the baseball world, there's you know, just more and more staff, more and more departments and more and more layers. And so it does, it's more time consuming. You got to think through it. And um, so there's, there's a lot of those challenges that are out there, but you know, the good ones do it and, and it's well thought out. And you do, as you mentioned, have people on the same page and delivering the message the appropriate way to the player.
0: And in in your area of the business, especially, you know, let's, let's kind of chat about your time as a GM. And, you know, you think about being at the top of the organization, obviously you're reporting into the ownership and and the president and whatnot, but you got to get not only your club all rowing in the same direction, but you have to then get everyone else that's out at all these different affiliates, right. Rowing in the same direction. And not only do you have to get the staff doing that, but then the players, right. And, and look at the end of the day, Uh, And I'm sure you would say this, but it's a business, right? And so each, you know, individual player out there is fighting for their livelihood. That's how they make their money, just as you do, right? And so, you know, getting them to row in the same direction is probably tougher than it might be if you're uh, a big corporation and, you know, you've got everyone kind of going in one direction because that's the culture. How do you, you know, players go in and out, right? There's different cultures or, you know, different levels, et cetera. How do you manage that? as a whole and, and also over an extended period of time.
1: Well, I think the first thing is you have to understand and you've had experience before you get there. You, you know, you've had other opportunities to work in the business before you become general manager. So you've run departments in, in all likelihood, and you've, you've had small little subsets of understanding how to run player development or be involved in scouting or, you know, a smaller scale of college baseball staff or, whatever it may be. So that those, you know, are obviously helpful experiences along the way assist. I was assistant general manager as well. So that was a very helpful experience just being closer to the GM uh, position yet, you know, having involvement in a lot of departments, but you know, you, you also, as part of that, you, you can't do it as one person. I mean, you've got to have a team of people that are helping you and, you know, you've had discussions and philosophically, you're, you know, generally on the same page. Um, and you have confidence based on your experience with them or your knowledge of what they know, that they are good at running departments. And, and in some ways, you're handing that off to them to some degree, not completely, obviously, because you're overseeing everything. And you've got to have a pulse on things. I mean, it's, it's your responsibility, and you know, you're know re- you representing ownership in this regard. So you've got to have a, have a handle, even though you've got a, a big responsibility and in the major league team by itself, but you've got to have a handle on scouting and that means nowadays pro scouting international scouting international professional scouting, international amateur scouting, and then the amateur scouting which you know the is a huge piece in itself and the impact that it has on on the organization so um, you know that's the group that you put together as your leadership team uh, is is very very important and then the, the good thing is you spend time through the business and in my personal background, I had opportunity coaching in college. I had some opportunity in scouting. I worked in player development at different times. So I, I we worked in some different departments. I had done a lot of international work um, scouting-wise in the Far East and, and in, uh, in Latin America. So I had some background where I basically I had some relationships with people. So when I had the opportunity to become a GM, you know, I had some thoughts along the way as to some people that you, you think could do a good job and could be a part of that team. And you always have to adjust because some people it just doesn't work, but you know, philosophically you've, you have people that you think fall in line with some of your thinking, but at the same time you, you, you have you know, some discussions and you know, develop organizational policy and, and they're gonna manage in most part in player development or the scouting but you're going to be involved. It's just not, you know, the day-to-day stuff. And so you've got to lean on that quite a bit because you've got a, you know, a handful going on with the major league team and what's happening around the league and that sort of stuff. So uh, you got to delegate, but obviously you understand you're responsible and similar to picking players is that you've got to have a feel for and an understanding of people that you think can handle leadership positions and people they think think would be assets as employees. And, and, and they're, going to work with players. They're going to work with, you know, scouting groups that uh, are out there looking for players and, you know, what the philosophy of the organization is and on and on and on. So it's, it's not a one man show by any means. And, and anybody who's been there will tell you it's highly important that you got to be able to identify and manage and, and educate the play the staff that you want them in, you know, whatever
0: philosophy that you choose. Yeah, you make a great point. And, and also that look you know, if you're an international scout, you, that person doesn't necessarily have to want to be a GM, right? They can want to be the best international scout that they can possibly be. And, and I think, you know, in today's day and age, social media, et cetera, like everyone wants to be at the very top. But at the same time, uh, as you know, we had an episode with Neil and he said, look, there's only 30 of these jobs, right? There's only 30 people who can occupy these seats, you know, across the entire industry. And everyone else has to be really, really good at what they do. And so as you think about you know, the differences between leaders and those who are just really good, you know, individual contributors, there's a big mix of those in, in this business where, you know, you just mentioned you have to have, you know, a whole staff of people, right? To kind of uh, get everyone together. What's the what's the biggest difference in in the baseball side of things where you have that individual contributor who's just really good at one thing versus someone who you know has potential to be a leader, potentially? Well, I, I think there's,
1: there's a, a mix. I mean, you're obviously, you'd like to have a very diverse group and whether it's, you know, the language that they speak or the ethical background, ethnical background, you know, different countries, now, you know, we've got people from Australia, Mexico, Venezuela, Colombia, uh, besides the US, Canada, Puerto Rico, there's lots of things, but you'd like people that are better at evaluating pictures, people evaluating position players, scouts that, you know, their strength is as an area, other scouts that maybe their strength is professional scouting over amateur scouting, player development people that really work well with infielders or are better in the Gulf Coast League than they'd be at AAA. Some people with major league experience, uh, some people that were good major league players. So you need a very diverse group in your, you know, 100, 150 odd employees. And some of them are going to be you know, more of the leader type, let's say, versus others. And, you know, not to characterize someone that isn't a leader that enjoys their job as an area scout or as a A-ball manager, but they can still have goals and, and desires to do things as well and still have leadership skills in those roles. But, you know, in some ways, whatever their decision on life is, they like to live in a certain area of the country because they've got, you know, four kids and they're going to college nearby and their parents, you know, there's all sorts of things that come into play in that in that regard as your staff goes. But um, there's also the thing that we kind of all go through this and, and I've had different phases in my career is you, you want people to want to exceed and I, I mean, excel in things. And, and, you know, you don't want to knock them for wanting to become a GM or whatever it may be. And, and as time's gone on, I kind of use the, the general idea and basically like, and the best thing you can do is if you want to have more opportunity is just do a bang up job at the job you got. Cause there are people out there that are in bigger positions that are looking for those people and they're watching them and they are identifying guys that are gals that are out there doing a good job at the job they have. Sometimes what can happen is people can get a little far, farther ahead than they need to be. And they're worried about two jobs ahead of them and don't do as good a job as they can do. And they get distracted and, and that's not a good thing. And, you know, so you want people to achieve, you want them to have goals and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with someone feeling and spending 30 years as a Gulf Coast League manager or as an area scout, and they can be a very valuable part of the organization. Similar to, to an up and comer that, you know, someone has done a fantastic job as an area scout and then you want to give them some more responsibility as a cross checker or supervisor and you foresee him as being someone that could have an opportunity to do more in the future. Um, you know, we look at the same way in, in all areas and all departments, uh, as, as kind of in the leadership area, when you run in departments is, you're not going to have all, you know, you know, triple A leaders that they're going to be driving the organization. Sometimes that's not good. You know, where you've got strife and competition and, you know, people that uh, get caught up in things that don't matter versus, you know, doing what's best for the organization and, and uh, you know, kind of sacrificing the work that you do, um, you know, for the better of the group. So there's lots of uh, complexities to that, but there's not one uh, demographic that works best. You, you really are going to have a diverse group and, and it's a very positive thing to have that in many ways.
0: Those, those are great insights. And and I think about, you know, everyone from the outside maybe sees this as, hey, you know, you go scout the player, you coach him up, and you use the data, and away you go, and you play on the field, right? But just listening to you, I mean, there's so many complexities to the – to the, at the end of the day, it's a business, right? And and there's so many moving parts. And uh, when you think about the the business side implications, right, I think this says sometimes – and you've been at the top, so you understand this – that sometimes it gets lost in translation of, well, you know, everything that you're doing at the ground level to then make the big league team better, to then have more wins at the big league level, ultimately means more success on the business side, right? It allows absolutely. the people on the business side and there's another 200 something people there to do their yeah. jobs easier, right? And Oh, and- absolutely. I was, a, I actually, as I
1: went through my career, I got an undergraduate at UMass in marketing and, uh, you know, I had some great mentors. I've, I've really been very, fortunate in my life and my career. And then I've had some unbelievable mentors and a bunch were at UMass. And uh, one of which, when I went through the marketing degree to get the undergraduate, it, it helped me later on as, you know, I moved up and, and I've always had interest in sports and, and then got a master's degree at UMass in sport management. But, uh, you know, one of the things I always think about and, and I work with the marketing people a lot when you have that GM role because you're talking to everybody, you have a lot of public speaking, whether it's suite holders, season ticket holders, potential season ticket holders, you know, you do whatever it takes. And, um, you know, the, however, even though you've got a group of people working on the marketing side and we're trying to do everything on the baseball side with the manager and your star players and, you know, appearances and golf tournaments and all that sort of stuff and a million other things, The number one best marketing tool is winning and that that'll help sell tickets better than anything even though i know the marketing people out there have you know a lot of different ideas and very creative people and and there's a lot to that i i've learned that through the years uh working in the baseball world however winning will solve a lot of marketing challenges as i'm sure uh they'll tell you but you know it's uh and there's a lot to it i mean there's uh but it's it opens you on the business side as you start I had some interest early on, but as I moved up and I got more responsibility, uh, particularly in the front office with assistant GM and GM, you see a lot of that and how important it is. And, and you're a team, you know, you're trying to do whatever you can to help every department possible, even, even though obviously the main responsibility is, is the baseball operations side. And that's, that's the engine that drives the train, no doubt about it. However, you, you know, you're a team player and you want to do everything in your power to help out other, departments too, because you end up as, as the business goes, the baseball piece is the face of the business. And there's lots of talented people that are out there, but you know, you, whatever you can do with, you know, whether it's a, there's corny as an autograph ball or, or just going over and saying hi to someone or going to a corporation and, you know, sitting and having lunch with people, you know, it's, it's very important and you try to do everything you can to help every department.
0: Uh, as they like to say on your end, you know, you guys like to spend a lot of money, and then <laughs> everyone else makes all the money, so you can spend the money, right? I think uh, it kind of goes both ways, though, and as you mentioned, it's a team effort, right? You got to have money to spend, so there's kind of that, uh, it goes, it's a two-way street. Yeah, it is, and and there are some
1: small pieces, and it's very uh, apropos in what you're saying, is because that is the case on the, I've lived the baseball side my whole career, and, and it's mostly been spending, but you know, occasionally it's selling a player to, uh, you know, someone in Asia or it's, uh, you know, some of the corporate sponsorship that you're, you're involved in to try to help s- seal a deal that you know, whatever it may be, whether it's signage or, you know, s- some partnership that you have. And uh, But, you know, there there isn't a whole lot on the baseball side. But you do deal with budgets, so there's there's certainly a lot of, you know, kind of background of the business side that if people have had some of that experience and and you know some of the things that I was able to achieve academically at UMass helped me in that manner going through the business school with a marketing degree and certainly some of the coursework at at uh, UMass and in, in sport management masters was very helpful too as kind of a foundation for some of the things that you know I was involved in later uh, on the business side.
0: Yeah it's a great point in that you know no matter what you know, part of the the business you're in at the end of the day, all those things as a foundation kind of help you drive it, And at least just understand perspectives of where other people are coming from, or, right? Regardless. And uh, as we wrap up the episode, I got to ask, I, you know, it sounds like you're fairly well-traveled. We all know that there's a lot of players coming from a lot of different parts of the world. What's your favorite place to travel to? <laughs> uh,
1: to find players. Uh, I don't, my favorite place. Best food, best, you know, yeah. Well, I probably, uh, San Francisco's, you know, got a great area and great food and beautiful sites and all that. But th- I mean, there's so many that's, you know, I've had, a, you know, whether it's Japan, Korea, Taiwan, Venezuela, Puerto Rico, Ven- you know, Dominican, Mexico. I mean, it's just, unfortunately, in our business, it's not normally that you have time, you know, like people talk about going to, let's say, the Dominican Republic, where some people vacation or, you know, in normal times. For uh, you know the inclusive beach resorts, <laughs> and I always tell them we're, we're out in the sugarcane fields looking for players. We're not at the, <laughs> the resorts, and I don't I don't really have never fortunately unfortunately had taken the time. I keep saying I'm gonna do it to go to some of these places and take a few extra days. Although I will say as, as I have you know 30 seconds to think about it, Alaska is probably the place that I've had as much fun where as people in the baseball world know, but uh, similar for, you know, as, as the UMass group, there's uh, Cape Cod and they have a very good college summer league. Well, there's a college summer league in Alaska as well. And generally is kind of more oriented to the West coast college players. And so for years they've had tournaments up there and teams and for three or four or five years, I went up there in the summer for a week to watch some of the better college players. And so as a scouting community, there'd always be 15 or 20 guys up there and, so we'd always do some fun stuff, fishing or different things with some of my cohorts uh, through the year. So I, that's probably been the, the time and I would take a day or two before or after to go do some fun things. And, you know, whether it's uh, fly out fishing or helicopter rides through the glaciers and, uh, you know, Denali National Park, uh, different opportunities that you rarely get. But that's probably, if I look at it now, thinking about it, it may be the best spot and most fun I've had looking at players.
0: Well, needless to say, you don't get a lot of sleep with your job as it is, but I can't imagine you got much in Alaska during the summer with all of that <laughs> sunlight. So uh, yeah, that was different.
1: That was different. I, I hadn't experienced that. But one, one addition to that is when you say that, the thing that pops into my mind is going to Japan to, to scout when, as you're at the 12-hour t- more or less time difference, you're up during the day watching games. And and traveling, visiting with different teams. And, and then at night is the day in the United States. So you're on the phone doing business back in the States. And I can remember with some of my, my, the people I worked with, uh, uh, being at a game in Japan and actually being, and I'm a grinder and, you know, fight through the sleep and try to work hard knowing that, you know, you, you've only got so much time in this bracket that, I can remember being at a game in Japan after the, you know, 18, 20 hour flight being so tired that I wasn't sure I could keep my eyes open. And I, I'd say to the guys, Hey, in between innings, I'm going to be kind of lean over and put my head in the program. So when the inning starts kind of elbow me to wake me up, because, you know, everybody's looking at you thinking that you're someone the as a baseball person. And uh, so anyways, there's some, there's some fun stories in regards to that kind of overdoing it sometimes, but you do what you have to do. And as you know, being involved in the business, it's, in all seriousness, you got to work hard. That's the first thing of of all the different assets and attributes that people want to talk about anybody's achieved in, in really anything is so you got to have a strong work ethic. Obviously, you got to work smart. But, um, you know, in the baseball world, it's, you know, you got to punch the clock, as some people say, you're going to put some hours in and it can be very enjoyable if you enjoy the sport. And there's a lot of people you meet and some great friendships I've developed through the years, but um, I've certainly enjoyed it. And, and UMass has been tremendous to me, and they've given me, um, you know, great opportunity, and I've learned from a lot of people there with some great mentors way back to the Bernie Mullins and and Hal Vanderswags and Glenn Wong and Lisa, Lisa Master Alexis has been a big help through the years. And even one of my uh, my, my peers, Steve McKelvey, who's now uh, department chair at UMass, is We're all very proud of what he's accomplished too. So it's been a great program and they've given me a tremendous amount of support and help through the years. So I really appreciate that.
0: Absolutely. Bernie, Bernie Mullen was a uh, life in the front office podcast guest. So uh, you're in good Good. company, but Dave, you know, uh, look, obviously you can tell why you've had the success you've had in your career and you continue to do so. Um, you know really appreciate the time the insights the the advice and the thought um, behind your journey and wish you all the best of luck as you you know move throughout the rest of this season with with what it is well it's a challenge but we're going to get through this thing but Jake I appreciate the time thank you very much